0: podcast, where we will have honest, courageous, and fun conversations about how women are plugging into climate, energy, and sustainable solutions for the planet. I am your host, Megan Bennett, and on this podcast, I will be giving women who are doing the vital work of saving our planet a platform to share their stories, their ideas, and their dreams for a better future. And I hope these conversations will inspire us all to plug into our personal missions, and expand what we think is possible for our families, our communities, our work, and ultimately our planet, starting today. Welcome to the Plugged In Podcast. Welcome to Plugged In. On this episode, I speak with Catherine Sparks. Catherine has devoted her career to developing and implementing pragmatic solutions to the climate change challenge. She has held leadership positions in nonprofit, for profit, and public sector organizations, and she is currently the Director of Innovation, Research, and Development at the Independent Electricity System Operator in Ontario. On this episode, Catherine and I talk about a range of topics from the relevancy of distributed energy resources in the future of Ontario's energy mix, the importance of equity and affordability and insights on what it's like to be at times the only woman in a room in this industry she also highlights the importance of diversity in the sector and emphasizes the value that diverse backgrounds cultures genders and professional experiences bring to the table and reflects on strategies on how to integrate diversity into innovative solutions for the future It was a real pleasure to dive into this discussion with Catherine. I hope you enjoy it and find it helpful. And if you do, please share it with colleagues and friends and let me know what resonated. I would love to hear from you. All right, here we go. Welcome, Catherine. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me on Plugged In. I've been really looking forward to speaking with you because you're doing some really interesting work. And I can't wait to hear what is exciting you about the sector right now. So... To start us off, I thought for people who may be new to the sector, can you describe in as simple terms as possible yeah. <laughs> um, what you do as the Director of Innovation, Research and Development at the Independent Electricity System Operator, the ISO, in Ontario? Thanks. So, first of all, I'm excited to be with you and have this conversation, I think mean, this series is fantastic. Thank
1: you. Um, so thanks for including me. So. Maybe a little bit about the IESO for those who might not be familiar with the independent electricity system operator. So the IESO is responsible for maintaining the reliability of Ontario's bulk system. So the high voltage lines that connect uh, generators across the province to to local distribution companies and some large uh, customers and uh, also connect with uh, some of the jurisdictions around us. Uh, Quebec, Manitoba, New York, et cetera. Uh, so we make sure that, um, you know, power continues to flow through those lines in real time and that we're, we're coordinating those flows and we also operate uh, the wholesale electricity market. So we, uh, we facilitate the buying and selling of electricity in, in real time um, and it's a, it's a pretty big market about uh, $15 billion a year is spent in Ontario. That might not exactly be the number, but I'm sure it's on the ISO website like five times. Mm-hmm. Um, but is about that amount is spent on, uh, on electricity in Ontario each year, so, um, so there's a lot at stake. Um, and in what I do, my role uh, in innovation, research, and development is to uh, help the organization understand and prepare for the changes, the challenges, and opportunities that we're facing in our in our ability to uh, to deliver on that mandate, so to maintain reliability, uh, maintain the affordability of Ontario's electricity supply into the future, and like so many other uh, sectors, the electricity sector is undergoing. Uh, significant change and uh, and I think disruption is a fair word for it. New technologies, changing consumer preferences and and uh, and needs, new market participants, folks who have new uh, solutions to the energy challenges, um, and new ways for us to do business more efficiently. So there's a lot going on and uh, and my job is to help us help us get ready for it and understand it.
0: What does it take to be successful in this industry?
1: so I think you know I think I've had the uh, I've had the I've had the benefit of uh, of having some really great sponsors and uh, and champions who have you know helped me uh, help guide me along the way and who have opened doors for me uh, and I'm always conscious of that and I work I work my damnedest to pay that forward um, I think that's the uh, you know, I think that's the obligation that each of us has uh, to open the door for the next person, keep the door open for the next person. Uh, I think you know a strong work ethic. I my my team makes fun of me sometimes because I have a lot of slogans, um, and I think Let's one of them. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think one of my favorite is, uh, or maybe one of my most used is, I might not be the smartest person in the room, but I can be the most prepared, right? And uh, yeah. and I think it's true. I think it's. Um, you know you can if you if you you know do your background research, if you work hard to understand, if you ask questions and listen and I think that's another thing listening is so important, right really listening, really hearing what someone else has to say, working to understand their perspective, I think that goes a long way um, and that intellectual curiosity, like really wanting to wanting to know about new things, wanting to understand new things and and being committed to continuously learning and then I'd say. Um, you know, it's kind of one of those old adages, but just relationship building, getting to know people, right? And people from all backgrounds, all walks of life, I think the more, you know, the more sort of um, diverse your network is, the more diverse your opportunities are, right? Um, So really working to reach out and get to know and understand people from a whole spectrum of um, of, kind of business and social realms. And I think that's especially important, you know, given the convergence that you're seeing today between energy and city building and energy and tech. Um, and energy and automotive, as we talked about earlier. They really are all blending together.
0: What are you most proud of in your career so far? So I think, uh, you know, I think I've been
1: pretty lucky to work on some pretty cool projects. Um, I think one of the things that I'm most proud of, I, you know, I think back a few years now and uh, launching the first uh, province-wide low-income program. Was I think one of my you know one of the accomplishments that I'm most proud of. Uh, that program served over a, you know, a few hundred thousand Ontarians, and it's gone a long way to do that, and it endures today. Um, I think uh, you know I think the fact that energy efficiency is taken seriously as a resource now in Ontario. You know we worked hard to put in place uh, the Conservation First framework and a framework that would um, drive. The acquisition of affordable energy efficiency all across this province, and uh, and it did that. I mean, we achieved some of Ontario or some of North America's most ambitious targets. Um, you know, at a, at a really good acquisition cost relative to other resources and relative to their gif- jurisdictions. So I'm pretty proud of that. Mm-hmm. And you see some of that carrying forward now in the work that we're doing. Uh, you know, the work that I'm currently doing in terms of looking at uh, evaluating energy efficiency as a potential uh, potential uh, technology or, or resource that can participate in our capacity auction. So really putting it on that level playing field with other resources. And when I hear, you know, the control room folks or the operations folks talk about the impact of energy efficiency and, and their belief in, in its impact here in Ontario, that's when I get really excited because we have come a long way in terms of its uh, you know, in terms of its maturity as uh, as a solution to Ontario's electricity needs.
0: What has been your experience as a woman? Leading in this sector, so I think you know. I think uh, I've been,
1: again, I've been really, really fortunate in terms of the sponsors and champions that I've had uh, in this sector, and uh, you know, I, I, it's never. That's I, I, you know, I'm conscious of who I am, right? But it's never felt. Um, it's never felt like. Uh, you know, it's never felt like a barrier. I mean, there's sometimes, you know, you, you, you're sometimes you, you notice you're in a room and you're like, oh yeah, right. I'm I'm the only woman in this room, right? Mm-hmm. Um and you kind of make a mental note to yourself, like get another woman <laughs> next time, right? Um and so uh so I mean it is something I'm mindful of. And you know, I, I think yeah obviously I after I, you know, I took I've had two two kids, two wonderful, wonderful girls. And I came back 6 months after each one and there were a few comments from people somewhere in the sector right about that being a bit early right but it worked for our family and um, but the vast majority of people here you know at this organization or you know where I was where I had those two kids were so you know we're so um, we're so supportive right and i think you know i think of, i think after each of them i took on new roles and like more responsibility right and i think that's a testament to one you know Again, the sponsors and champions that I've had, right, and the leadership of this organization, um, and the you know the the value that it places on all employees, but I do think it goes back to you know I do think it goes back to I'm mindful of the fact that there are still those rooms where you are the only you, know, mm-hmm. you are the only woman, and you know now that I'm in a position where I you know I you know, I do hiring and I am recruitment and I can you know I can mentor and sponsor people, that I, I again I want to do my damnedest to make sure that you know the the rooms that I'm in and the teams that I build look like the customers we serve, right? That they reflect that diversity of perspectives and voices, because I think that's how you make sure that what you're doing is the right thing for the people that you're working for.
0: What do you think women in the industry maybe should be talking about that we aren't publicly? Any thoughts on that? Huh. I think,
1: you know what? If I, th- if I think about it, I think, I think there's uh, this might sound a little bit radical, but I think there's a, a direct tie between competition, in the like in the industry, and then I think of in market and diversity, right? So I think, you know, there's there's sort of a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of um, incumbency in any sector, right? When people get in, they want to kind of protect their position, right? And I think. Um, you know, I think when I think about a lot of the, the emerging companies, right, and the emerging solution providers, you know, there's a whole, there's a lot of, di- they come from different fields, they come from different walks of life, they come from different backgrounds, um, professionally, culturally, um, gender, right? And I think, so I think the more room there, is, the more opportunity there is to compete, the more diversity you get in any, frankly, in any sector. And I think it's especially hmm. important to consider in a regulated sector, how do you open that up? How do you open things up?
0: What is it about innovation with that, with that in mind, with that kind of climate future in mind? What is it about innovation, specifically in the electricity market, that is firing you up most right now? So I think the, the sort of...
1: Scope of a potential. Like I think about, you know, I think about some of the stuff that we're working on, and some of the stuff that we're seeing, uh, we're seeing here in Ontario, and you know, the proliferation of storage for me is the biggest one. We have, depending on who you talk to, over 600 megawatts of storage have gone in uh, to uh, to help customers with the Industrial Conservation Initiative, so peak cost avoidance, and that's customers doing it themselves, right? They've said, hey, there's an opportunity here to avoid some costs. I'm going to uh, take things into my own hands, and they're putting in storage. And you know, we've seen a bit of transmission-connected storage as well. We've got about 40 megawatts in the province, but storage is a game changer. I mean, up until now electricity was something that you produced and then you had to use right away, right, generally. I mean, there was some pumped hydro, but it was pretty limited. Um, But now we've got this technology that allows you to store it for hours at a time, right, that can inject and withdraw from the grid in real time. And the things that it's going to do in terms of unlocking the potential of solar and of wind um, is huge. Uh, So I think, for me, that's really exciting. The other thing is electric vehicles. You know, I think... um, I look at some of the car, the auto manufacturers, and the targets that they're setting for themselves, uh, in terms of full EV fleets in the next, you know, five, six years. Like it's here, right? It's coming, and I've got friends. Uh, you know, friends with families, and they're not in the energy sector. They're not working in clean tech or you know, sort of environmental business. And they're buying EVs. And they're buying EVs because they like the way they you know they run. They're buying EVs because you know they look cool. They're buying EVs because they make sense from a financial perspective for their families. And again, just the potential in terms of. Um, you know, one I think they'll have a huge impact uh, in terms of demand on the grid, so we need to be ready for that. But the potential in terms of um, emissions reductions, the potential in terms of you know uh, leveraging your your EV uh, to boost up um, you know boost up power supply in your house um, during times when you might need it if there's an
0: outage or something. There's just so much potential there. The forecasts are huge for electric vehicle uptake. Is the grid going to be ready in time? What's your perspective on that?
1: Yeah, I think that's a you know that's a good and challenging question. I uh, I mean we've got you know you know as a s- the system operator we do our own um, we do our own forecasting um, and we've got um, you know we've got some estimates of what's coming at us. I think the thing will be to to enable us to be ready. Will be to um, put a, I think, put a bit more effort into enabling distributed energy resources, enabling new technologies more broadly, enabling storage. I think that's all going to go hand in hand. So I don't, you know, I I don't think that we will be able to. I don't think we'll be able to shore up the distribution, like distribution infrastructure, um, as quickly as we'll need to for EVs being deployed along streets, you know, in in Ontario communities. And there'll be pockets where it happens faster, right? It'll be faster, and we're always seeing it faster in certain urban uh, urban environments. So I think the the solution then will be to, um, you know, consumers. I think will start putting in place their own solutions, right? For one, I think they'll start looking at, um, you know, how they can how they can generate within their own um, you know, within their own properties, um, and I think the other part of the solution will be us enabling uh, enabling resources locally as quickly as we can to do that balancing at the local level, as opposed to trying to you know bring in electricity from from further field.
0: Yeah. So you mentioned distributed energy resources. On the first episode of Plugged In, I spoke with Ursilia, mm-hmm. and we chatted kind of high level conceptual about what DER is all yeah. about. And I've been looking forward to speaking with you to dive a little bit more into the topic and maybe you can speak to us about, give us some tangible examples, like how would this work for a homeowner or a business and what's the, Could you help bring it to life a little bit? What distributed energy resources mean in the market?
1: Yeah, so I mean, I think you see different definitions if you look, you know, in different places, you'll see different definitions at a policy level of what distributed energy resources are, if you kind of look at, you know, federally or provincially, you'll see different definitions um, uh, by different system operators, too, they'll define them for the purpose of market rules, which is kind of gets really technical, because it's saying, here's what you need to be or do in order to sell us this kind of product or service. Uh, The way I think about them, I mean, they're really smaller scale resources located at the distribution level. So rather than sort of the big transmission connected stuff that we relied on historically, they're either um, sided with customers, you know, behind the meter of a customer, or they're connected to the distribution system. And you're talking about things like, um, you know, small scale generation, like rooftop solar, um you're talking about uh storage um so like your tesla batter uh tesla power walls or your um your residential batteries your household batteries um you're talking about energy efficiency so mm-hmm. i i think i mean i get excited when i think about the number of building automation systems in Ontario is I, I wouldn't even hazard a guess, but it's in the thousands, right? I mean I think about you know some of the energy efficiency programs that um, the IESO has administered over the last decade and a big thrust of that was was helping building owners and operators throughout the province um, not only get more efficient equipment in their buildings, but also get um, systems in place that they can use to to tune and run that equipment as efficiently as possible. And the beautiful thing about that equipment is that not only can it benefit um, those consumers directly by making sure their you know their heating and cooling systems are running properly and efficiently, but you can also leverage it. To you know, reduce heating and cooling, um, and other, uh, frankly, other energy-consuming functions on the hottest and coolest or highest demand mm-hmm. days of the year, and sell that to us to the ISO as the system operator. So. There's, a, there's an opportunity to split the costs of those kinds of technologies, right? And also split the benefits uh, with ratepayers. And again, it's not, you know, there are no citing issues with that. People already have these things in their facilities, right? Um, whether it's the, the bigger stuff in commercial buildings or the smaller sort of um, smart thermostats that you have in your home. And it's everywhere, right? It's everywhere. These are, these are technologies that are, you know, everywhere waiting to be unlocked to help us solve the energy challenges we're facing.
0: And so, when they're talking about ener- the energy efficiency market opening up, that's mm-hmm. what that looks like. Because if you have a building and you're automating um, controls, and there's energy efficiency that can be measured and verified, you can uh, a building owner could sell that back yeah. to the ISO. Yeah,
1: yeah. So I think I think um, today, so the way it works is um, the sort of the only real opportunity to do that today is through our demand response program, right? That's um, that's kind of the venue that would you would use if you, um, you know, if you were a smaller, if an, a homeowner or a, a single commercial building. Um, we don't allow anything less than a megawatt in size to participate directly in our market. So you you can participate through what we call an aggregator, right? A business that goes and says, hey, I mean, if you if you let me take control of your smart thermostat or your building, um, you know, your building storage system for. a uh, you know, a couple times a year I'll pay you, right, in exchange, and we would pay the aggregator in turn. Um, but, so that's the only way there is today, but when you look at, you know, you look um, at system operators in the U.S., and you look at system operators um, in Europe, where, you know, they're a little bit, you know, so, some of whom are a bit further ahead on, in terms of distributed energy resource integration into electricity markets, they are, Lowering their minimum size threshold. So south of the border, they've all lowered um, their minimum size threshold for direct participation to they're lowering it to 100 kilowatts for storage. That's their, they've been ordered to by their regulator, um, and uh, and they're working on uh, distributed energy resource integration. So for all products and services. So rather than demand response being your only opportunity, you could you know get take your smart thermostat or your building automation system or your you know building storage unit. And have it um, have it enabled to provide energy in the energy market, or operating reserve in the operating res- in, you know, in the operating market, or any of the sort of the gambit of products and services that electricity system operators buy that your you know your technology is technically capable of providing a, a service to.
0: Interesting. I'm thinking about resilience, mm-hmm. com- community resilience. I was at the AESP Ontario chapter event last week, yeah, and Reagan Bond. Um, who I've also had on the yeah, podcast, that um, asked an interesting question at the session about the linkage between DER and resiliency mm-hmm. to climate change. And I thought it was an important question, especially given the pace at which municipalities are declaring climate emergencies and how making that link uh, is, is, is curious to me and interesting. Um, what are your thoughts on, on how that's going to play out? Yeah, I think
1: uh, I, mean, I think the one of the great promises of distributed energy resources is is uh, you know they can like I said before they can be cited anywhere, right? They give communities choice in terms of uh, supply. So if you have a preference for certain types of technologies, clean technologies, then you know you can look to uh, look to develop and encourage the deployment of those types of technologies in your community. And the other thing is, they're local, so you're not relying on hundreds of kilometers of wires between you know a big centralized generating facility and you know the homes and businesses in your community um, to get you know to to transport that power. So and that's one of the things you struggle with. And you know I always feel for uh, I always feel for Hydro One because they have such a massive service area, right? And they have these. You know, hundreds and hundreds of kilometers of wires and like what happens during an ice storm right um and what happens you know during um you know during a, an extreme heat event when you've got like sagging right or or um, any any of the sort of myriad of, of, you know, more frequent and unexpected weather events we're seeing, there's uh, there's a vulnerability to those lines. And so if you have those resources cited locally, you know, you have the ability to um, to either be a backup to sort of your main, um, you know, your main power in those times when you would be facing weather events that would otherwise take your community d- you know, down, mm-hmm. right? Um, or in some cases, I mean, you're starting to see people think about can you rely on, distributed energy resources completely. Like you look at northern remote communities, right, who have like diesel, you know, diesel gensets mm-hmm. that they're using, which are expensive and dirty. And they're now looking at can we do solar and storage to offset some of that and have a, a cleaner uh, local grid, a more reliable local grid.
0: That's good to hear because I was also thinking about affordability. Mm-hmm. So affordability is a um, really uh, important topic right now and yep. a lot of focus on it. Um, and I and I understand affordability to be a driver also in terms of d- developing DERs. Yep. But I'm also hearing, you know, its DERs are electric vehicle storage and smart thermostats and smart appliances. And how does um, how does equity play into this? And how, what do you think are going to be the benefits of DER um, from an equity perspective? Because because the folks with the electric vehicles aren't probably having, ha- they're not having problems paying their utility bills. But how does it all link in yeah. from an equity perspective?
1: I think that is a, is such an important question, and it's one that I have top of mind in in all the work that we do. And I think that you know one of the things that gets lost in um, in the conversation a bit in Ontario is that we have significant fixed costs in our electricity system right now, right? Like, we invested in, you know, we invested in a number of long-term contracts and assets, and we're now paying for those, right? And so the challenge today is that if you, you know, if you have someone who goes and, um, and puts in, let's say, I'm just gonna, you know, puts in enough generation um, to meet their own needs, like let's say a, a, you know, residential homeowner, right, and puts on a bunch of rooftop solar, um they're you know they're not using the assets that were put in for them, right? That were already that we already bought for them and they're actually avoiding costs associated with those assets. And that's one of the challenges people have with the industrial conservation initiative I you know I mentioned earlier is that you know some of the participants in that program are are shifting costs to other ratepayers. So you get this cost shift between those who who can Um, you know, afford to do their own thing in terms of generation or storage, and those who aren't doing that, right, who are relying on the system. So I think we need to spend some time and look really closely, and it's, I think, a pretty urgent conversation around um, fixed costs and the fixed costs that we are, you know, sort of stuck with today, right, Um, that will sort of, as contracts come to an end, um, decrease, right? But look at those costs. And look at you know, where we think p- things need to go from a, you know from a resource perspective in the future to manage all the issues we're talking about: resiliency, climate change, um, affordability, and make sure that you know the kinds of policy interventions that are done um, aren't you know aren't having unintended consequences where they're shifting costs to those who maybe don't have as much opportunity to do something about their own energy, um, you know their own energy needs. I think that's really important. And I, I would say that I think, you know, a lot of the technologies, let's kind of add, a lot of the technologies we're talking about are kind of like the hot new technologies, like EVs and stuff, but some stuff, some stuff in terms of energy resources have been around for a while and are pretty accessible to everyone. So I think of hot water heaters, right? Mm-hmm. And in this province, we have a you know, decade plus history of using hot water heaters for uh, demand response, right? Again, reducing electricity on those, those hottest, or uh, rather coolest days in this case. Um, and you know, everyone, almost everyone has a hot, a hot water heater in their house. So I think there are. I think it's. I think I think it's important to keep in mind of what are those sort of um, the most democratic technologies, right? And make sure that there's room for everyone and that no one's getting left behind from a cost perspective.
0: Excellent. Um, Ontario's premier said last month that he is proud of canceling 750 renewable. Wind turbine contracts because when oh, we didn't need the power, it was going to drive up the electricity rates further, and he was going to save taxpayers $790 million. Can you help me make sense of this? So, I think I, I, you know, I can't, I can't comment on
1: on sort uh, of something that a um, premier said. But what I I will say is that I think you know we do have a big fixed cost. Challenge in this province, right? Um, You know, under through previous policy iterations, we wanted to, you know, there was a a drive to sort of kickstart a renewable um, economy, right? And I think that was, you know, I think that was absolutely, you know, given the challenges that we're facing, right? I think that was absolutely the right thing to do. I think um, one of the challenges was, you know, um, maybe with the level of competitiveness, right, in terms of the approach to procuring those things. And I think that's why you're seeing, you know, that's why you're seeing a move towards a more competitive approach to procurement here in Ontario. Um, the capacity auction that the ISO is putting in place will make shorter-term commitments, so that we don't find ourselves in the situation where we're stuck with contracts for assets that we might not need. Because the big challenge is, you know, as uh, you know, for an electricity system operator, for any planner really, when you've got like a kind of central planning function is you're trying to look ahead and say, okay, what is the demand out 10 or 20 years, right? No one has a crystal ball. Um, So you're doing the best you can to forecast that demand. And then you go out and you, you know, traditionally you would have procured large scale assets, right? Um, And then hope that demand materialized. But we all know what happens, right? From history is that it doesn't always show up. Um, You know, the economy changes or economic downturns, new technologies emerge that help consumers, you know, Go the go with their themselves, right? They can do their own generation. Um, there's a lot that can happen. So I think, kind of going back to my earlier point about, you know, one of the one of the kind of beautiful promises of the energy resources is rather than invest in you know, large scale multi billion dollar assets that that we're stuck with for 50, 60, however many years. Smaller scale assets resources give us this flexibility, right? So you can scale them quickly, they're modular, right? So, we, and we, so we, can, we can acquire, we can purchase the services that we need, consumers can get the services they need um, without making that wholesale investment. There's more flexibility to scale up as the demand materializes or not if it doesn't.
0: Who is a leader that you um, look up to right now that inspires you, that motivates you? Do you have someone that comes to mind?
1: yeah I mean I think um, I think uh, in uh, sort of in the world writ large I mean I think of Christian Freeland at the federal hmm. level and I think uh, you know I, I wish there was a write-in option on the last ballot for, <laughs> I mean um, for Christian freeland um, but I think I I mean just the magnificent work that she's done in terms of um, trade relations and you um, and, you know I think leadership uh, within you know within uh, the government um, and I think of her background right and she's had such an interesting and diverse career she's she's someone that I really look up to um, I think here you know I think here in the sector we've got some really awesome leaders um, around our executive table um, and uh, you know, I think in particular our, our CFO, Barb Anderson, she's had an incredible background. She's an agent of change. She's worked in the private sector, she's worked in the public sector. Um, you know, she's instrumental in the OLG privatization. She just gets stuff done. Um Force, I you know, I, I would be remiss, I'm not playing favorites with any market participants. So I wanna mm-hmm. impress that and I'm not I'm speaking as Catherine right now, but I think, you know, Annette Vershuran, I've always I've watched you know, watched her, what she's done with her store, watched what she did at uh, Michael's and Home Depot, just like taking you know, things that were tiny when she started and just making them huge powers and huge forces um, for the benefit of the customers that they were trying to serve. Um, and gives back immensely to the community, right? In terms of public service, I, I, she is a force. So I think there are lots of really great role models and really great leaders, both in the sector and abroad here in Canada.
0: I'm always curious about how people get to where they are in their career and their life. Can you tell me a little bit about how you got to this role and and to this work and what were, what were some of your inspirations? Yeah, that's a great question. I think, you know, if I kind of go way back,
1: uh, I think a lot of sort of what motivates me today starts off with kind of how I grew up. So I, I grew up in, uh, I grew up in South Oshawa. I grew up, um, you know, minutes from Lake Ontario and a really big wetland and spent, you know, I had one of those great childhoods where we spent, you know, every day after school and on the weekend running around playing by the beach, playing uh, by the wetland. And it had a huge uh, impact on what I cared about and how I saw the world and how important the natural environment was to me. At the same time, Oshawa is a very industrial, even more so at that time, was a very industrial town. So you saw, um, you know, you saw how important um, jobs and, and economic development were to people, and um, and some of that relationship between, uh, you know, between people's ability to, uh, to, um, you know realize and uh, you know take care of their families and and have access to those good jobs um and their ability to and their mind their you know the kind of mind space left over for things like you know environmental concern environmental action how linked those two things are so they're really you know you really kind of struck me at a young age is that know that when people are you know when people when people are comfortable when they have access to you know to those those good jobs and can take care of themselves and their families um they have more mind space to care about things like um you know like climate change or clean water or what have you so they're inherently linked and so we can't discouple them and that's always stuck with me um in this work so from there um that kind of became, you know, the environment and, uh, and kind of as I, you know, subsequently through studies and stuff, under came to understand climate change. That became um, the big thrust of, of my, my work and my career. I understood at a young age that that was going to be the biggest challenge of our generation. It's going to be the biggest challenge of the next generation. And uh, so we need to put a concerted effort to doing something about it.
0: Thank you so much for chatting with me today. Is there anything else you want to add before we sign off? I just want to thank you for including me, and I, I think
1: this is such an, like I said, I think this is such, uh, you know, fantastic endeavor that you've undertaken to, you know, bring profile to different women's sector, and I'm honored to be amongst, um, amongst the uh, the women that you're talking
0: with and you yourself. So thank you for that. Thank you so much. Thanks for your time. Thank you for listening to the Plugged In podcast. I'm having so much fun bringing this to you, and I hope you enjoy it as well. Let me know what you think. Share it, rate it, leave a review, reach out. I am on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn. All the info can be found at pluggedinpodcast.ca. I am super thankful for all the love and support behind the scenes. Some special call outs to Urcilia Serafini and Summer Hill for supporting me with the time to explore and work on this personal project. So appreciated. And finally, to my guests, thank you for being the inspiration. Join me next time on the Plugged In Podcast.